Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Move podcast. Um, today, we have a special edition of the Move podcast, um, the first uh, in a series of six. Uh, we will call it the Move with Legends, and you will see in a little bit why we have chosen this name for our mini-series. Uh, six podcasts over the course of the next three months. Um, I'm Johan Bruneel, talking with you from Madrid. Um, and on the other side of the pond, a very early good morning to my co-host, George Hinkepi. George, good morning. morning. How are you? Good morning, Johan. I'm good. I'm excited. I'm excited about this show. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, you know, it's it, it logistically, it was a bit uh, a bit difficult because we have people on every side of the world. Um, but anyway, thanks for uh, making uh, the effort to to wake up so early. What is it, six o'clock in the morning for you? Yeah, I got to take the kids to school in, in 45 minutes, so not a big deal. <laughs> okay, cool, cool, cool. Let's get straight into it. Um, the move with legends, um, you know, special and a new format we have here. Uh, and um, as I said, you know, every two weeks we will come with uh, with one of those editions. Uh, and the first edition of the Move with Legends is, um, you know, it's very special to me. Um, you know, something somebody who I personally think is the legend of the last decade in in pro cycling. Um, and you know, to name a few of his accomplishments, and and, and I'm going to be, it's going to be difficult because there's so many. Uh, but you know, to just say, name a few, three times world champion, uh, Tour of Flanders winner, Paris Roubaix winner, seven times winner of the green jersey in the Tour de France, 121 victories in professional cycling. We're honored to have the presence of the one and only Peter Sagan. Peter. Welcome to the move, and thank you very much for giving us your valuable time. I know you're you're busy, and uh, you're also on the other side of the world. You're in Tokyo, right? In Tokyo. Hello, everybody. Peter, yeah, it's very pleasure. On. It's very pleasure for me to to being in the podcast, and uh, it's nice. Okay. Well, anyway, jo George and you were at you know George at the end of your career. I think you you shared a few races or a few seasons with Peter, right? Yeah, I'll never forget. I did. I think I did one of your first pro races. Peter was in a uh, tour down under with you with down under, yeah, uh, 2010. And you, everybody was already talking a lot about you as a junior. Obviously, you had an amazing career, but we all know the difference. You go from junior to pros, and it's a whole different ball game. But what I what I noticed right away from you, what stood out is you 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 took your spot in the peloton and it doesn't matter who it was nobody could move you out of the way you were confident you <laughs> came in ready to fight um so talk to talk to us and your, our viewers about your mentality coming from a from your junior career to the pros like you had no fear you were full of confidence and that's 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 pretty rare especially in in those days in 2010 uh, talk to us how, how you got there a little bit about your junior career and you what walk us through your first pro race it'd be fun to for our viewers to learn about that yeah, well, uh, it was very special year for me, 2010, because I was the first time in professional cycling. And uh, as uh, maybe you know that uh, I always did uh, mountain biking and road biking. When I was junior, I tried to do also cyclocross, just uh, maybe to get uh, some easy medal on the world championship 
because the competition in, on the on the cyclocross was a little bit less, and uh, I made the second place in cyclocross. Then uh, first year junior, I was fourth in world championship in uh, on the road. It was in Aguascalientes in Mexico. Yeah, and then uh, yeah, as a junior, I uh, got uh, world champion. Uh, I was world champion winner on mountain bike. And uh, that's why I was thinking my future is more on the mountain bike, not on the road. But uh, when I was under 23, I was dealing already with the quick step, but uh, I did some uh, first testing as uh, yeah, the young guy and uh, as a junior. And they told me, we are going to watch you, but uh, you still have to wait one more year because uh, you are not ready for professional cycling. And at uh, the same time, I was dealing with Liquigas also, and they were much more open, and uh, they opened my way. That uh, they took me in uh, Liquigas uh, Pharma, like, uh, you know, for uh, young guys. Then uh, I did for under 23 uh, preparation in Italy in the winter. And then I started racing in uh, in Italy and in Croatia, in uh, Slovenia, Poland, and I won some stages. And uh, after one year of under 23, they told me like, uh, if I would like to come for a, like in prof team. And I said, well, I'm gonna try for sure. This uh, uh, offer I cannot miss. And after we will see if I am not uh, good or something, I, I can always turn back in mountain bike. But uh, in the end, all my career was on the road. And, uh, and uh, I have to say, I'm very happy what I did on the road. <laughs> I would say yeah. so. What was it like when you were where you grew up in in your hometown? I mean, was it, would you train full time every day? Like your life was centered around cycling, mountain bike, cyclocross, all those disciplines? Or did you do a lot of cross training, other sports? What, what was your... Well, as a kid, yes, I always took uh, cycling like, uh, not like game, but the kind of fun you know mm -hmm. when i was 13 i wanted to stop with mountain bike road bike and i wanted to focus for downhill and i wanted to do downhill but after my father saw how dangerous is downhill we were in one race close to my hometown for downhill race and uh, when he saw them he said you are never going to do downhill like uh, <laughs> you can stop with cycling but the downhill i i'm not going to buy you downhill bicycle <laughs> Smart man. Smart. And, uh, well, Peter, and after I turned, yeah. Yeah, Peter, uh, I remember 2010 when you was basically when you came on the scene of professional cycling uh, with Paris Nice. You know, I was a director still with, I think, Radio Shack probably. And, and I remember uh, being in the car and one of the early stages, uh, it was it was supposed to be a bunch print. And all of a sudden they said, winner of the stage, Liquigas, Peter Sagan. You won two stages <laughs> as a 20-year-old in Paris-Nice in, in that first year. Um, you know, and from then on, basically, you've been winning and winning and winning and winning. Uh, you know, now almost 15 years later, right? Or 13 years later. Yeah. If you look, if you look back on, on how you started as a junior, already super successful, as you said, world champion, second in the world in cyclocross, second in Paris-Roubaix, yeah. I think. I think uh, you were also in as a junior. Yeah. Then having this career of winning year after year after year, 
would you have ever imagined if you look now back that your career would have been so long and and so successful because 121 victories in pro cycling is something that you know every cyclist or ex-cyclist can only dream of so how how, how do you feel and 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 would you have ever thought uh this would have been possible no in this question uh no how i told you before i never thought about i gonna finish on the road i always wanted to do mountain bike and i never saw myself on the road bicycle because uh uh well for me, it was always boring, you know, like training on the road. I, I needed to train on the road bicycle for mountain biking. And uh, I always had a mountain bike soul inside of me. But uh, no, also my coach, when I was junior, junior, he told me like, uh, oh, man, you are going to do big cycling on the road, but you are never going to be that good as in mountain bike like uh, you are a mountain biker you are not road, a road biker and uh after i show him that uh, uh he sets mistakes you know <laughs> <laughs> but uh definitely no i couldn't imagine in that time that uh i'm going to make such a career what i did yeah, I mean, you know, I think, I think, uh, you know, it, the, it's, it's so unique. I, I mean, if you, I, yesterday I was going through your, your Palmares, and I had difficulties to really pick the main, uh, you know, the main victories. There's so many, um, but if I ask you, out of all your biggest victories, is there mm -hmm. one specific one that sticks out? Uh, does have a special meaning? Is there one specific one that you say, okay, this is really what brought me the biggest satisfaction? I think uh, it was the very important victory in my life. It was uh, the world championship in uh, Richmond. Because uh, after first one, like without one, you cannot have two. And without two, you cannot have three. Mm -hmm. Then uh, I think that was my most important victory in my career, the cycling career. So, and Peter, that, that, that's also one of my personal favorites of your win. I was actually there. I rode the course just, just as a fan. And actually, Greg Van Aramont, which was one of your biggest competitors at the time, stayed at my house right here for a week mm -hmm. for that World Championships. So, obviously, I was rooting for Greg, and he was right on your wheel on that last time up. One thing, I want to I break that down a little bit. We didn't see you the entire race. And you're one of the only riders that can do that, where you don't even see where Peter Sagan is until the last four or five K when it really matters. But talk about like your mentality, your strategy, because obviously you had a team, but they weren't one of the best teams in the in the race that day. Um, you had to take a lot of risks because you had nobody chase down breakaways. You had to you had to rely on everything coming into that final hill. So once you realize, okay, we're still together here. Is this exactly the way the race played out? And not only that, but at the top of the hill, you didn't really even have a gap. You had like two seconds, which was with yeah. uh, with um, Watson Hagen right behind you, Greg Van Aramont, one of the best riders in the world, within a couple seconds of you, and then the peloton right behind that. But you kept going. You had the super tuck position going down that hill. I just cannot imagine the pain your legs were going through at that moment. But walk us through the strategy of the race, like early on what you were thinking, and then leading up to that final climb, which was one of the best attacks in cycling history, in my opinion. 
Well, I think the story of a uh, winning first world championship is uh, far back because uh, I start to believe like uh, I was winning the stages in the World Tour races and stuff. And I try to be always good in world championships and uh, starts to be in 2010 in uh, Australia in Melbourne. And uh, I always want to win, but uh, I put always too much pressure on myself and I always finish badly. And uh, that year when I was like year by year, I wanted to win. I wanted to win world championships, but uh, it was always like too much pressure on me. And, uh, you know, after I did a lot of mistakes or I had bad day and stuff like that. And after I have to say, I start to think oppositely, like it doesn't matter. I already had a good season. And uh, 2015, I did Vuelta and I had bad crash with the uh, uh, motorcycling. Motorcyclists, the, the, they hit me from the back and I crashed really badly. And after that crash, I uh, I uh, went home and uh, directly I went to America for altitude training camp. And I started to prepare for a world championship. But uh, the men mentally, I was already like, well, I'm going to I'm gonna go to altitude and we will see how it's going. First of all, I have to recover from the crash. And after I start to do some kilometers, they also invite me for uh, the Canada Classics if I want to race. But in the same time, I had to have permission from uh, Vuelta because uh, Vuelta was uh, still going on. And I said, no, I don't want to race anymore. Like uh, it's almost the finish of the year. I didn't train well because uh, one week I was almost without bicycle after the crash. And uh, I am not ready for Canada. And, uh, and we will see. I'm going to go to Richmond for team time trial. But I didn't think I can win world championship. <laughs> uh, yeah. For me also, like, it wasn't matter, like, uh, how it's going. In the time trial, the team crashed. I, I stayed on the bike with another guy, but, but everyone crashed. That the time team time trial was uh, done. and. Uh, I said, we will see how it's going. And directly in Richmond, the first lap, it was a big split of the group, like bunch broke in, I don't know, 10 groups in the first lap. And I was in the last group. <laughs> I said, well, then after one lap, everything is everything is done. Maybe I'm going to continue another three laps and after I go down. <laughs> <laughs> and after, well, everything's all the bunch puts uh, stick together again. And I said, well, I don't think so. I am in good condition. Then I have to start to uh, save some energy. And every time when we went in uh, that two hills with cobblestones, I always took them in the top 10, top 15. But after two climbs, I, I was always lost. Then uh, during the, the circuit on the flat and in the downhill, I again uh, jumped to the front. And for the section of the hills, I again enter in uh, top 15, top 20, but never first one. And I did all the laps like this, like, uh, like I saying. 
saving energy, energy. saving and energy basically all the time. So, saving. And, yeah, saving and, energy, and uh, we will see how it's going last lap because I said for sure it's gonna come maybe 20, 30 riders to the finish. That climbs it was not that hard. I I think that uh, it's going to be some split. And uh, in the end, I said, okay, last lap, I'm not going to say because of that it's too risky. I have to be in the front. And uh, for the first section of the cobblestones in climb, I enter maybe in top 10. And directly from there, it was downhill, two, three turns. And after we went in that uh, decisive uh, climb where I attack, and I said, okay, I try. If I'm going to have pain, everybody behind going to have pain because uh, for sure we are going to be long, like everybody in the line. Then after downhill, after in the downhill, if I'm going to be in the front, I'm not going to risk some crash in the back. Then uh, definitely I'm going to try to be in the front and we'll see what's going to happen. And when I saw that uh, we stays in the top, because uh, the cobblestones finish, and uh, Greg Van Averman and uh, Bas Van Hagen, they were just behind me. Yep. But the, the climb still continuing a little bit uphill. Yep. I said, push much more. I cannot stay with the, like in three, we cannot stay. Or I going alone, but the, in three is not going to work because uh, nobody going to work with me. And I tried to push a little bit more and after it starts to be up two, three, four meters. And uh, as you see, they stay in two and uh, they didn't come to the finish because uh, you know how it's in the breakaway. Like uh, they always one thing to save, you know, mm. for for the final. When you are alone, you you can only push. It's only one chance. And uh, in the end, it was good. But uh, I have to say, you, I didn't realize pain in my legs in uh, <laughs> that climb. But in the last climb, in the oh, last yeah. climb, I really feel it. <laughs> Yeah, that's a that was a yeah. one kilometer pretty like not very steep, but still very you could just see in your legs you were getting out of the saddle just looking for every yeah. piece of energy that you had. It was an amazing uh, I want to I want to interrupt you for one quick second because a lot of our viewers don't understand when you were saying throughout the day you would start to climb in the front and then go to the back. But what people don't understand is most cyclists they go to the back, they're gonna go on the side of their peloton and they're gonna go in the wind and get to the front and burn energy. You were one of the very few cyclists that you can go to from the back to the front without burning any energy through the middle of the peloton in the wheels, yeah. the poles. and that's a very ability to, to have. And talk about that because everybody's good in pro cycling. The levels are amazing. We all know it's who can save the most energy throughout the day. And you can, you were like, it was like a video game for you. You'd be from the back to the front without spending any energy with the best cyclists in the world, just finding the holes and surfing his way through the peloton, which is a is an art form. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. But the the thing is, that's why I liked uh, to race on the uh, circle or on the circuit, yeah. because uh, you could manage in the first two laps. You saw the lines where you can go in the front, where you can save energy. Like okay be calm here and this is the point you have to go in the front and this is the point that it's possible to go in the front also in the middle of the peloton because if you don't know where to going then uh it's hard yeah but on the circuit it's uh much better when you see two laps 
and you can see how peloton is moving how, how riders is, are moving in uh, in peloton where is the gap where you can take more speed you know and uh, you are not going to um disturb somebody but uh yeah on the circuit is much more easier yeah i'm always i'm always surprised george uh you know when when somebody like peter explains you know how simple they make it sound you know like okay you know um i saw these guys i just had to push harder on the pedals i mean we all know that that's not the case at least not for people who have raced and and probably didn't have the talent of of, of a peter sagan but uh peter i just want to um you know if we look at your uh you know your accomplishments you know three consecutive world titles very unique you know on three different terrains richmond doha uh bergen in norway then Tour of Flanders 2016, Paris Dobet 2018, winning in the world's uh, world champions jersey. You know, mm -hmm. you had this, you had this period of complete domination in in one day races. You know, and from the outside, to me, it seemed like you were almost invincible in those kind of races. Uh, how did that feel for you? Did it also feel that you were the dominator, and that when everything went right? you were actually going to win those races uh, explain a little bit to us and to the viewers how does it feel from your from your point of view to be in that position well that's also one thing what i told before the most important victory for me was uh, richmond also in my career because from that victory i learned how to handle the pressure stress you know of uh expectation and stuff and uh i wanted al always i wanted to win i wanted wanted always winning the race i never wanted to be or at least if i don't gonna win i want to be protagonist in the front if i gonna lose first place for two centimeters or one minute it doesn't matter but uh i did my best i did a show for people you know and uh after Richmond, I started to winning also important races as Flanders and, and Paris-Roubaix because I didn't got it in my head that is important race. You know, I wanted to race like, you will see, it's going to be a good show, but it's very hard to win. And it's not like uh, now you are going to make stress to yourself or pressure on yourself that you are going to change something. Tomorrow is going to be how it's going to be. For sure, I have to be focused. I am strong enough. I uh, already did, uh, I don't know, preparation, Tirano Adriatico, and always I was coming with some victory. A lot of times I was uh, second in Milan Sanremo. What was also, uh, I didn't have luck in uh, Milan Sanremo because <laughs> yeah, a lot yeah. of time I lose it from uh, my a race style i think that i wanted to make more show than uh than yeah. uh, to play for victory hey it's me jb i hope you're enjoying the move legends uh i'm just going to jump in here for a second because i'm going to tell you about a new partner of ours that you are going to be very interested in because you're bike obsessed like i am you probably have a garage full of bikes some need to go 
and you probably want to bring some new fun stuff in. Well, Bicycle is the answer to that. B-U-Y-C-Y-C-L-E.com. They have solved a problem for all of us. They've given us an incredible marketplace. And if you go on their site today, you'll see an inventory of 15,000 bikes for whatever you want. They've solved this problem of giving us a good place where bikes have been collected, vetted, inspected, some even certified, and you can save hundreds, if not thousands of dollars, getting the bike you always wanted. Selling the bike you're no longer using uh, as much as you used to, or maybe it's just you know time to move on to something else and you could uh, sell it online and swap it out. When you do sell, this is super cool. They'll send you the box, the packaging, hold your hand through the whole process. Uh, and when you buy, uh, it's so easy to go on and pick the style of bike you want, the brand, if you want to go that far, you can pick if you, uh, the drivetrain, do you want electronic? Do you want mechanical? Do you want disc brakes? Do you want rim brakes? All of these options are in there. And so once you in the bike size, so once you go through there and you're like, check, 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 boom, a whole page, if not more of inventory that fits you perfectly on the bike you always wanted will pop up. So whether you're buying or selling, this is where things are heading, folks. It's great. And the amount of inventory from all over the world will blow your mind. It's super, super cool. For a limited time, you can save up to $100 on your purchase by entering the code THEMOVE, all caps, one word. THEMOVE, all caps, one word. At checkout, it'll save you 100 bucks. Uh, follow them on Instagram, buycycle.com, B-U-Y, cycle, C-Y-C-L-E, underscore com. Give them a follow on Instagram. And uh, go check out their site today. You'll you'll be addicted to it. It'll, it'll be your new guilty pleasure just to hang out on that site and look for your dream bike and sell yours if that's what you want to do or do both. All right. Check it out. Bicycle.com. B-U-Y-C-Y-C-L-E.com. You'll thank me later. It's probably and also, it's probably also, Peter, you know, you, once you get to that dominant position in, in those one day races, you are such a favorite. And, you know, I think Milan San Remo is probably one of the best examples. If you are the favorite, you can try to make the difference on the Poggio, but then how do you find collaboration until the finish? And I think that's obviously the price you had to pay from being that that big favorite. So to me, it's always so uh, admirable how people like you who are the big favorite and still manage to win those races when you know that everybody wants to race against you that you're not you're not going to find any collaboration so i think that's george i mean back me up here you know it's that's yeah. that's probably what sets apart the really big champions from just the, the the good cyclists right well being able to stay calm under pressure being able to to you know not lose confidence i mean i i think since we were on the world team and i know we don't have much time with you but Doha, for instance, Qatar, you barely made that split. You were the last person to make the split with the best teams in the world, Britain and Belgium, putting it down in the crosswind, only 40, 30, 40 guys left. You jumped across, made that split. That was a winning move right there. And you still won against Mark Cavendish, the best sprinter of all time, and Tom Bonin. And then also, um, Norway, you were sick. You didn't even ride the week before. And you again, you don't see you the whole day. And then all of a sudden, no, I, I pop up. No, in Bergen, I, I was uh, prepared well, and uh, well, I was sick in uh, two days before, three days before Bergen. Oh. I did long rides, like uh, three days before the race. I always did a long ride, 
And after we eat something in the in the training in a boulangerie, or well, uh, in grocery shop, and uh, in in during the night I started to vomit all all night, and uh, I didn't sleep. And day later I was flying to Bergen. I didn't touch bicycle for uh, the Friday Saturday because I was totally empty. I said. Uh, if I have to keep some energy, it's better just uh, to eat some uh, some carbs and uh, and don't even touch the bicycle. And again, that's the victory that uh, I said I, I cannot win World Championships. I know how hard it is, and everything needs to win well. And uh, it was uh, I couldn't imagine that uh, I, I gonna win because. Uh, but I was prepared well because I think if I'm not sick, maybe I'm going to demonstrate everyone that I am the best one, and uh, maybe the race is going to be a different way. Mm-hmm. But that, that that I was sick, maybe I was uh, in lower level level, and I was in this safe mode, you know, safe energy mode for a whole race. Mm-hmm. And uh, after in the end, I won for one centimeter against Christoph. Uh, well, and uh, about Doha, that was also a surprise that uh, I won the year Flanders. I won uh, some, yeah, another green jersey in Tour de France. I didn't win the stage, I think, 2016. <laughs> I don't remember, but I, I did a few years that I didn't win stage in Tour de France. And I said for Doha, it's not parkour for me. It's going to be all sprinters or it's going to be bunch sprint with the great El Cavendish, well, Bonin. And I said, it's always lottery, like, what are you going to do there? But uh, again, I did good preparation. I was in altitude after I was preparing myself in altitude for uh, for uh, Olympic Games in mountain bike. And after... I turned back to Europe and I had, after Tour de France, Olympic Games, but I had a very busy schedule. I had like one week rest. And after one week rest, I uh, I got sick. Then for two weeks, I had like uh, easy, like I was recovering from the sickness. And after I started to do bicycle again, but I think the preparation, what I did for mountain bike, helps me with a lot of things that uh, I came directly for an eco tour. Uh, I won, I think, two, three stages in an eco tour. Then I won European championship in that year. And uh, I said, wow, I already won a lot of things. Why I have to win also world championship? Like I, I won so it la- last year and it's going to so- be better parkour next year that the uh, I don't have to be everywhere. And that's why everybody was, uh, you know, they specialized for, uh, we are going to Doha, it's going to be 45 degrees. We are going two weeks before to get used to uh, hot weather. And uh, they just stay there, but it's uh, nowhere to train because in the end you are outside, you are on the flat, you can train train in the wind and stuff. But, uh, well, I said uh, you are going to, burn your mind if you are going to train in Doha and you are going to be burned out already before world championship 
<laughs> and I said uh, to Lomba, no, Lomba, I'm gonna come to to Doha like three days before a world championship. I I, I don't want to stay there. I, I'm gonna stay with my family, and we will see how it's going. In the end, it's gonna be one sprint, like uh, what we are going to do. But I was confident because in the races, what I did before, I I won a lot of stages and uh, European championships, then Eco Tour stuff. Then I just went there and we will see what's going to happen. For me, it's going to be some kind of lottery and like, we will see. <laughs> and in the end, like I missed the first breakaway that the Belgium guys uh, split <laughs> the, the peloton and uh, well, I was the last one who crossed over to to first uh, group. And after it was a most easy world championship that what I did, because uh, after we just stay on the wheel and uh, well, I sprint the last sprint, what was uh, like last 300 meters. But <laughs> yeah. in the end, I was focused last kilometer. That the, and I was uh, joking all the time during the race. Uh, a lot of times I uh, took the feeling back, but I strapped the 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 thing. the The feeling bank is just broken. Yeah. Then a lot of uh, labs also. I didn't have something to drink or something, <laughs> and I was laughing like, uh, "Well, we'll see how it's gonna finish." And uh, in the end, it was also lottery because if Nitsolo is going to move a little bit to the right. And he's going to close my line. Yeah. And uh, everything could be over. But uh, he was, uh, yeah, very fair in uh, that way that uh, he didn't move to the, to the fence. <laughs> yeah. Peter, we've we've talked about uh, a lot about one day races. Um, let's go back to 2012, your first participation in the Tour de France, and you win three stages in your first Tour de France, and and you win the green jersey. The first of, I mean, you did this seven times, which is unbelievable. Um, I would like you to explain to our audience a little bit what it takes. You know, you have the Peter Sagan classics, one day racer, and you have the Peter Sagan Tour de France stage winner, but above all record seven time green jersey winner. What does it take of a cyclist and his mentality to do this year after year after year. And how stressful is it compared to just being a stage hunter, having to go for that classification, uh, which basically, you know, there was, there was a time where the green Jersey was Peter Sagan and the green Jersey were one. There was no other rider who was supposed to be in that Jersey. So the pressure it brings to you and how is different the way of racing to go for a classification like that. Well, it's a. Uh, I don't know if it it is more stressful than uh, one day races, but uh, depends because uh, it's more stressful because it is during twenty one days. You know, one day race is stressful for the moments that the today is gonna finish everything, but you have to be more focused in the race because uh, it's small roads. You have to put yourself in the front position. After it could be some crashy stuff that you have to deal with and turn back. In the stage race, it's uh, more about, uh, well, you are in the race circus that uh, is going on every day. But uh, the race is uh, 
the yeah the stages are shorter because classics are 260 kilometers 270 milan Sanremo is 300. in the tour de france you can have what maximum 220 sometimes but uh, normally they are always 200 kilometers normally maybe one stage you can have cobblestones but uh, mostly you are racing only on the road some days you can find climbs then uh, for me if it's long climb i could relax go in the going to grupetto but also for me sometimes it was very important when it was uh, like uh, small hills or steep hills that uh, make good stage for the points because sometimes i uh, didn't even win the stage in tour de france and i won green jersey and yeah. uh in that point for me the hardest one what i won it was first one 2012 i was against uh, matthew goss or michael goss no Ma matthew goss matthew, matthew goss and, yeah matthew goss and uh he was pretty strong that year and he was also uh climbing well a lot of stages i tried to drop him in the climb but uh when i did it he pushed all the team in the front that they chased me on the on the flat and uh that was pretty hard to just uh you know because uh, he was also fast he did track before that uh, he was pretty fast in the sprint and uh i was very worried about that year it was 2012 like uh nothing is going to happen if i lose green jersey 2012 because i was first time in tour of france but for me it was important that uh, I am so close for green jersey and uh well that was the I think hardest one for me mm -hmm. and after well the year after year it uh I don't want to say it was easier but uh every year was different I have di di different competitors some years I was lucky in first 10 days I did that much point that the uh, all the sprinters and uh, guys, they said, okay, it's yours. <laughs> <laughs> you know, then uh, every year was different, yeah. And uh, especially 2012, I had uh, Lomba made a bet with the president of Liquigas about his Porsche. If I'm going to be in two stages in Tour de France and Green Jersey, he's going to give me his Porsche. No way. Then, uh, that was also in uh, in the bed for Tour de France. That uh, was important for me. Yeah, that's a good that's a that's a good motivation. That's a really really good motivation. Hey, Johan, yeah. I think we 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 shouldn't take too much more time, Peter. But yeah, well, I th I have two questions for you. One, you started. I was still racing you, uh, 2010 um, with you for a couple of years. Talk about like, the biggest changes you've seen since 2010 till now. Like it seems like they raised full gas from kilometer zero. Everything is measured. Calories are measured. Nutrition is is perfect on the best teams. Like you, you've been in the peloton the last thirteen years. Talk about the biggest differences you've seen. It's uh yeah, I wanted to tell you already before. Like uh, you told me, like everything looks easy. Like uh, how I going to get in the front of the peloton and stuff. But uh, it was much more easier when I was twenties than now. <laughs> now I founding also a lot of difficulties with the uh, young riders. Okay, last two years. They are taking uh, too many risks, you know, from the start of the stage until the finish. They are racing from the start until the finish. It's a, 
you cannot even stop for a take a piece, you know, on the yeah. side of the road. You like uh, you have to from the bicycle, mm-hmm. and uh, that's uh, something with the. When I see, I uh, it starts to be nervous. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> about that, like guys, just decide. Breakaway is gone, <laughs> and just we can stop. No, no, we are we are going. Then yeah. another thing is, uh, if the breakaway is gone, I don't know when uh, you were racing, George. They took maybe ten minutes, and everybody knows when we are going to collaborate with three teams. We are going to catch them. Yeah. Now, if they have two minutes, three minutes is maximum. And they are keeping them two and a half minutes all day. And it's not sure we are going to catch them. <laughs> I don't know how it's possible. Maybe the material or uh, they are more aerodynamics or I don't know, because uh, it's just uh, my brain is not uh, taking it. I don't know how it's possible, but uh, it's happened in Tour de France a lot of time. Uh, we had the breakaway of three people in the front, four people, four riders. And they had all day two minutes. And uh, we were always like two minutes, two and a half, two minutes, two and a half. And uh, we didn't catch them. <laughs> uh, in the end, they, they came with uh, five seconds in the in the front. That's funny. And, uh, we always say, we always say, we don't understand new cycling anymore. It's not like we could predict it like before. It's not, exactly what you me said. Me either. Yeah, me yeah. either. Like, uh, I don't know, but uh, I'm telling you, I found the last two years, I found a lot of difficulties in uh, in peloton and how to race, and uh, yeah, a lot of times I uh, I got nervous about the what what they are doing is no sense, you know. For example, we were in Grupetto this year in Tour de France, and it happened also last year, and I said like we were like seventy riders. In Grupetto, it was last climb. We had a good time. It was no no rush or no, no stress for a time limit. Everything was under control. And uh, last kilometer of the climb, after was a very like dangerous downhill, a lot of turns and stuff. And uh, when you are seventy riders in the front, you have to think about everybody are in the line. Yeah. Like don't sprint like crazy from the turn because everything is going to be like elastic, right? And uh, they are taking last kilometer of the climb. It was like 15 kilometers climb or something. Last kilometer of the climb, all the climb, we did 350 watts, 300 watts, 350 watts. Last kilometer, they starts to go 450, 500, 600. And in the top of the climb, I was, guys, are you crazy? We are pushing 700 watts for what? Like what for? Like, yeah. why? Uh, to take position. And what you are going to do if you are going to be first at what? You are going to split the like uh, Grupetto or what you are going to do? Oh, well, I enter in the downhill. First five guys, I let go. And I said behind me, guys, we are going easy down. Like why somebody has to crash like uh, five days before finish Tour de France? Yeah. Hey, we are going easy. We are going to catch them on the flat. Oh, well, yeah, okay. Then I was first in Grupetto, making pace in downhill, that every everybody has, are comfortable, also the guys in the back. I was like, it's crazy. And the first five guys in the front, two of them, they crash. <laughs> and I said, like, what for? Yeah. I, I, I didn't get that. <laughs> yeah, it's that's crazy. 
Peter, last question, then we will let you go. Um, you're 33 years old now. Um, you're, uh, you announced your plans for, for mountain biking. Um, can you explain to our audience a little bit more what the future holds for Peter Sagan, both on the bike and off the bike when you eventually retire? Do you have any plans? Yeah, I mean, I know you have a six-year-old son. I, 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 don't, I don't like, yeah. <laughs> I don't like if somebody say, oh, well, what are you doing now when you are retired? I said, yeah, I, I have even more work <laughs> and training than before. Because I have to learn a lot of things. If I'm going to continue with mountain biking, you know, the changes, what is happening on the road, is happened also in mountain bike. And uh, I lost last 15 years. I lost mountain bike completely. You know, the the, the circuits of the, of the mountain bike, they are more technical. The bicycle, they are using much more now. The full suspension bicycle, they changed the wheels from 26 to 29. They are using the telescopic seat pods and stuff. And I, I have to learn all these things, you know, technically, how it's working. And I have I have to ride mountain bike much more, especially in the downhill and technical things that uh and still working on my uh endurance and performance, what I have to do on mountain bike, because mountain bike is hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty hard. Then uh I still cannot say that I retired because uh, I still have to work hard for uh, if I want to achieve what I want to achieve to come. My goal is to go for Olympic Games in Paris on mountain mm -hmm. bike. Then, uh, then I have to work hard. It's yeah. not easy. Yeah. And now hours, and, on, uh, hours on the bike, what is that going to translate to? Like, obviously, on the road bike, you're doing you know, five, six, seven hour rides, or is it the hours less now on the mountain bike or similar training? Yeah, but uh, you have to like, I think you have to put much more gym, you know, the coordination yeah. and uh, the core training, what you have to do and uh, jumps, maybe some, yeah, walking also, maybe running. Yeah. And uh, yeah, definitely some ride what the should, what could be the long ride, maybe four hours, but yeah. on the mountain bike, you can ride, I think, maximum two hours. If you are going like to do some specific exercises or training, then you are burned out of energy after two hours, you know, and you cannot go full gas every day. Then uh, sometimes I have to go also, like two two times per week. I think I'm going to go on, on the road bike for sure. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's different. Like the preparation for a mountain bike, it's, uh, yeah, now they are specializing, you know, in mountain bike, you have specialists that uh, they are doing only mountain bikes and maybe some road race for preparation because, uh, well, on the road, you take different rhythm of the pedaling, you know? Yeah. And definitely I have to do also some small races on the road, but the intensity and the the calendar of the races i'm gonna be yeah a lot of time out of home yeah as yeah. well next year than uh, than this year for sure it's different effort because you are doing one race or two races per uh, per week but uh, out of home i'm gonna be very often for sure <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing okay peter well we we thank you very much for your time it's been a real honor and a privilege um have fun 
in Japan, whatever you're doing over there. Do you have a race? Do you still have a race there or a criterium? Or? Yeah, we did the criterium in uh, Singapore. Yeah, two days ago in, uh, no, it was Sunday. Yeah. yeah. And uh, well, next, yeah, this Sunday, what is coming, we have criterium in, uh, in Saitama. Okay. Then uh, that's the last criterium. And uh, after that, I turning back to Europe and uh, I going to have first training camp on the mountain bike and first training camp with the team in Montpellier, the is official training camp. And uh, well, the season is uh, almost starting. Like, oh, wow. Well, thank you yeah. very much, Peter. Yeah. And uh, we wish you all the best for the future and, and hopefully speak again soon. Yeah, and good yeah, luck. Thank you very much. Paris. We'll be watching. Yeah, <laughs> it was a pleasure for me. Okay. Right. Same Say hello to Lance. Yeah, we thank will. Yeah. We will. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye, guys. Bye.